Good to see each one of you here today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 15. Revelation chapter 15. If you don't have your Bibles, you can stand with me as we read Revelation chapter 15. Let's stand or you can follow on the screen as we read the Word of God together. And then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast in his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass holding the harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chest with golden sashes. And then one of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God, from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. You may be seated. As I had studied and prepared for this lesson, I'm going to be honest with you, this message this morning, as beautiful as this lesson is, I am troubled. And I told my wife as I sit on the side of the bed this morning that this text gives me a, a lot of trouble. And I rejoice in what we will see and what we will read, but I will show you why I am troubled. You see, what you will see right here in Revelation chapter 15 is a scene that John gets the opportunity to see the end of God's wrath. And he says in verse 1, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, and seven angels who had the seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. You see, the first scene he sees is a scene of vengeance. If we go back a little bit to the text, we will find that those that were at the throne cried out, Oh God, when will we have our justice served? There have been many times in your life and through things that you have cried for vengeance. You have cried for the wrath of God to be poured out upon somebody and be it known that the wrath of God is something that is very serious. We have seen the wrath of God poured out when God flooded the earth. We saw the wrath of God as He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. We have saw and seen the wrath of God as He destroyed Pharaoh's army as they tried to cross over after the Hebrew children. But we have also seen the wrath of God as it was poured out upon His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. But the Bible tells us in Romans 1.18 that the wrath of God is being revealed against all unrighteousness and those who suppress the truth of unrighteousness. So just a few moments, I want to talk about wrath with you. 
You see, at this vision that John sees, the scene of vengeance, he sees and hears the words, it is finished. You see, as Jesus would be on the cross, he would cry, it is finished. For the finished Christ on the cross for the redemptive plan that God had poured out upon him. But just as it is finished on the cross for the redemptive plan, now God's work of wrath is finished. This is why it brings me trouble. You see, as I talk about the the wrath of God as being revealed, what did Paul mean? As we've seen God would pour out wrath upon individuals, wrath is still being revealed. Why? You see, sin has consequences. And His wrath is still being revealed as we get sick. We see catastrophe happen. All of it is because of man's fall. Please go with me on this. Everything that we see that brings us sickness, heartache, death is a result of the fall. And God's wrath is revealed through that because sin has consequences. Let me tell you why I'm I'm troubled. You see, as I sit here today and talk about the wrath of God, I see all the things that God is doing in our lives now, but yet people reject Him. I see no matter what it takes, some people become hard-hearted and they turn to reject God. You see, as His wrath is revealed against those that are on the earth right now, you will see that His wrath that is finished is for those who reject Christ. Do you understand the difference? That's why I'm troubled. You see, the first part of the scene that John sees is a scene of vengeance. God will have the final word. You see, I thought about this as I've pondered this text so much this week that the Bible says in Genesis, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. The same God who created this world in His own time will bring it to an end. And let me tell you something. When He does, it's His final word. There's no way. And and I I want you to think about this for a few moments. I know that in the world that we live in and in the times that we live in, Everybody is concerned or worried about what's going on in the world. Politically, health-wise, and everybody's nervous about what's going to happen. What is China going to do? What is North Korea? I can tell you this. You need to fear God more than man. Men might can kill men, but God can destroy this world, and the soul is done. There's nothing going to happen that's beyond God's knowledge. And his wrath is greater than any wrath that man can give. He sees a scene of vengeance. But I want you to look what the verses say. He also sees a scene of victory. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those, listen, who had been victorious over the beast in his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. Listen to this. A scene of victory. Those who were not persuaded by deception. Those who were not persuaded by false prophets. Those who were willing to follow Christ at all cost stand victorious. I want you to think about this for a few moments. How many of you have heard about a man named Eric Little? Probably not many of you. A couple of you. Eric Little was an Olympic runner for the British in the 1924 Olympics. Now see, Eric Little was a devout Christian. He was a champion of the 200 meters. That was his race. 
He was a short-run sprinter. And the thing about Eric Little was in his convictions, the only reason that he ran was not for her, his personal victory, but for the glory of God. And what would happen in the 1924 Olympics is he was supposed to run his heat run on Sunday for the 200 meter. And Eric Little said, I cannot do it. They said, what do you mean? To the disfavor of his own countrymen, he was almost guaranteed a gold. He said, I cannot run on the Lord's day. He said, for the very reason I run is for the glory of God. So Eric Little would not run the 200 meter and swapped for the 400 meter. A race that he was not very good at and was a severe underdog. But not only did Eric Little run the race, he won the gold. He told his girlfriend in a letter, I believe that God put me on this earth for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his presence. You may not know Eric Little, but you're sure you've seen the movie or heard about the movie called Chariots of Fire. It's a beautiful movie about him and Abrams. One's a Christian, one's a Jewish man. It's a beautiful, beautiful story, and it's the truth. But see, it don't just end with Little running and winning the gold. See, Little understood if he was nothing with the medal, he would be nothing without it and vice versa. It's all for the glory of God. See, Eric Little was raised in China as a missionary to missionary parents. When he left running, he went back to China as a missionary. And during World War II, when the Japanese would occupy China, he became a member or prisoner, loosely, in a camp that was Japanese-occupied. He refused to leave and said he would stay for the glory of God and to minister to others. The last words that Eric Little supposedly said when he died was, complete, complete surrender. Complete surrender. And he would lay his head back and die. You see, he understood that the victory is not found in the temporary things, but the victory is found in the race that Paul taught of the race that we receive the crown of, crown of eternal life. It is a victory in a race that is run solely for the glory of God. Those are the victorious that John sees. Their victory is those who persevered to the end, who could stand on the sea of glass. And this is what's beautiful, and this is where I'm going to tie this together. Listen. He says... And they were holding harps of God. Anytime you see harps is in praise. They're praising God. You'll see harps and trumpets in the book of Revelation, the two instruments that are mentioned. The harps are used as praise. And they're praising God, these victorious ones. And they sang the song of Moses and the bond, the bond servant of God. And they sang the song of the Lamb. Listen, this is where it's beautiful. What is the song of Moses? I'm fixing to read it. You'll find that in Exodus. It was sang by the Hebrew children who were delivered out of the hands of Egypt by the mighty hand of God, who the children of Egypt saw the sea collapse and take Pharaoh's army out. They were delivered 
out of the hands of the Egyptians. The saying of the song of the Lamb is Revelation 5. Who is worthy to open this seal? And only Christ could open it. And they sang a new song. And that is the song of Jesus. One sang the song of Moses on the Red Sea. Praise God. They sung the song of Jesus on the Crystal Sea. Well, y'all ought to be upset. Am I excited? Man. They sang the song of Jesus on the Crystal Sea. Because just as the Hebrew children was delivered from the hands of Pharaoh, we have been delivered from our sins for those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. That is the victory. And they see a, sing a song of praise. It's a scene of vengeance. It's a scene of victory. It's a scene of praise. The Bible says that they had harps and they sang their songs. And I want you to think about this too. I don't watch much TV. Very little. I think there's better things to do in my life. Now I'm not saying, oh Chad, saying people watch TV, you've got a problem. I will tell you this, if you're addicted to it, yes, you have a problem. But what I will tell you is this. Last night, my wife says, Chad, let's watch some TV. So me and Hannah and Tiffany sat down. JoJo did his thing. And of course, I went through all these stations and absolutely found nothing to watch. I'm going to tell you, there's some wasted airspace. But we come to an interesting documentary about Benjamin Franklin that was on PBS. And anything made by Ken Burns is cool. So I'm sitting here watching this documentary and they're talking about how Benjamin Franklin was so instrumental in the end of the Revolutionary War. And he was. Apart from George Washington, they believe he was the most instrumental person in the ending of the Revolutionary War. But what's interesting about Abraham Lincoln, I'm Abraham Lincoln, whoo, I missed that one by a hundred years. But about Benjamin Franklin, he was a deist. Everybody said he was a Christian man. Actually, no, he wasn't. He believed in the God of reason, not the God of revelation. It's very interesting what we'll find out if we read our history. He was a reason man. But here's the thing about it. This is beautiful. You see, Abraham Lincoln spent about eight and a half years in France trying to negotiate works and peace and everything to bring an end to this revolution. He was highly flirtatious with women. He, 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 of course, John Adams would say he had no moral compass whatsoever, and that's neither here nor there. I don't understand what they considered. Things were different back then, but I would just say that he wasn't a highly esteemed person by some of his own cohorts. And he was very, very unforgiving of his son, his only son, who did fight against him in the Revolutionary War, but he had no room for him for forgiveness. But yet, when he would return to the United States after eight and a half years in France, he would be arriving by cannon fire in praise of all the people that had worshipped him, if you will, for what he had done in the Revolutionary War. I could not help but think myself as I was watching this, as he would return to great praise that men had praised him for what he had done in the Revolutionary War. 
And it was great praise. It was great honor. But yet the praise should be given to Christ, who was worthy alone of worship. You see, the difference in praise and worship, and I want you to think about this for a few moments, is they were fully committed to Him no matter what He had done because He had brought them a victory. You see, it's similar to Jesus when He's riding through on the back of a donkey. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. They didn't have a problem with that. But a week later they would turn on Him. Why? Because He didn't bring resolve to their immediate need. Remember the story? And a week later they go and crucify Him. Men love to praise people that can attend to their immediate need. God attends and transforms our eternal need, and He alone is worthy of all praise. It was a scene of praise. So what is the song of Moses? Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Exodus 15. Exodus 15. I want you to listen. Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will extol Him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. You see this, the personal pronouns? They belong to God. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast out into the sea. The choices of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down in the depths like stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them as a chaff. As chaff. At the blast of your nostrils, the water were piled up. The flowing water stood up like a heap. The deeps were concealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide. You see that? They said, I will, I will, I will. My desire shall be gratified against him, and I will draw up my sword, and my hand will destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. You might not say, I will, I will, I will, but I can promise you God gets the final word. Bar none. As they sang the song of Moses, him who was the deliverer, they would sing the song of the Lamb, as in Revelation, I told you, chapter 5. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy, worthy is the Lamb. The song and a scene of praise. Now I want you to look right here. The songs that they say, great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Great and marvelous are your works, our Creator. The God that said, let there be light, and there was the light. God has created all things by His hand. Everything has been made by Him and for Him. And He is worthy alone of all praise. It says, righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. 
Men may receive praise, but let me let you let this let me tell you and make this perfectly clear. No matter how much we think we need praise, we are flawed people. God alone is worthy of all praise, for he is unflawed. He is righteous in all his ways. He is holy in all his ways. He is not contradictory to his character, for he is who he says he is. And he alone is worthy of great praise. The Bible tells us that he is the king of the nations. Again, I have re-emphasized this fact many, many times. And I want you to understand that even in the nastiness that we live in in this world, the Bible says in the book of Daniel that I am the one that establishes kings and kingdoms. You hear this? He is the king of kings. You think anything's going to happen apart from him? No. Do not fear the Chinese. Do not fear the Russians. Do not fear your neighbor. You fear God. He is worthy to be feared. If he establishes nations, I can promise you there's not one that's going to rise up that he don't know about. And there's not one that's going to fall that he has not control of. He is the king of kings. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? You know, I, I, I ponder that statement. It says, for you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Listen, does that not sound similar as Jesus said, that at the sound of his voice, or Paul said, Jesus said at the sound of his voice, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that you are worthy. You can bow or now or you can bow later, but every one of you are going to bow. You see, the problem now is people do not want to bow. Now I get to the part where I am troubled. As I sing the, see the praise of God, and I see God's almighty hand go out. And there's been times when we have cried for the vengeance of God. Let me tell you something. The vengeance, the wrath of God, is a mighty, terrible thing. I want you to look what it says. He says, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? See, I often find it very interesting that a lot of people claim to be Christians and even go to church for fire insurance. They're not afraid of a holy, upright, righteous God. They're afraid of having their skin singed. I call it fire insurance. The greatest fear that we can have is knowing that we've got to stand before a righteous, holy God. We follow Him because He is worthy to be followed, regardless of any circumstance, not because we're afraid of getting our skin singed. You see, what troubles me about this is the text said, After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. The temple was opened, listen. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chest with golden sashes. They were pure. Listen to me. This is very important. As we see this imagery, we see the temple opened up. And God's wrath is coming out of it. Listen. And as His wrath is coming out of it, the one of the four living creatures gave the seven angels, who are the four living creatures, we talked about this several times earlier, their cherubim. And they give to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God. Full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God. 
And his power and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Folks, now I see a scene of judgment. It's finished. You see, the thing that troubles me with this passage, that I think that we all need to have a certain, in, in, uh, 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 a certain initiative, a certain uh, uh, prompting, a, a conviction to tell the world about Christ. You see, I can guarantee you that every one of you are going to die. If Christ tarries, every one of us is going to die. And let me assure you that there's no second chances. You see, as I studied on this and I pondered and I struggled, I could not help but think of the parable of the ten virgins that Jesus would tell in Matthew 25. See, as the wrath of God is final, the Bible tells me that they were ten virgins. And as Matthew tells this story, he says that half were prepared and half were not. And as the half wanted some of the other five's oil that they had prepared for, they said, no, get your own. And as they go out to get their oil, the bridegroom comes. And he enters in with the five faithful, and the door was shut. It's too late. It's done. God has spoken. So many people live with the attitude that I got tomorrow. You do not have tomorrow. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed our next breath. And it troubles my soul that there's going to be those who think they have up until the end and God has the final word. And they do not. You see, I make that applicable to today. There are a lot of people that will attend church. There are a lot of people that go to Bible studies. There are a lot of people that will say that they're Christians. But the problem is they're not true victors because they did not surrender everything to Christ. They wanted to keep a little bit of the world. Is that any of you? That there's not complete surrender because I just want to keep a little bit? Chad, why do you say this? God give me this verse, and it really troubled me. And I could not help but having my heart just torn to pieces. And I want you to think about this for a few moments. This is a scene in heaven. It's in Revelation chapter 21. In verse 5 said, And he who sits on the throne, <clears throat> behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. <clears throat> I am the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. And listen, and he who overcomes will inherit these things. He who overcomes, and I will be his God, he will be my son. But listen, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, 
the abominable and murders and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. All liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. No cowards, no immoral, no liars. You see, when I look at this, I think of the cowardly. What did he mean? How many people proclaim to be believers but yet will not share the gospel with somebody else? If you do not profess me before men, I will not profess you before my Father. I didn't say that. Christ did. They're the cowards that fear men who can destroy the body instead of fearing Christ who can destroy the body and soul. They're the cowards. I shared this, I think, Wednesday with somebody. It used to amaze me that people say, yeah, we won't go all the nations so God has opened up the floodgate and opened up the borders that people come to us. No, he hasn't. Think God's going to reward us for not going? He didn't say for us to sit back and wait. He said go. Never will forget, I had a meeting with the North American Mission Board. Some people, they were doing one of our things. It bothers me. I have a problem with this. I said, the thing that amazes me most as I was meeting with my leadership, I said, here the people say that, hey, God's opened up this floodgate. I said, I'm going to tell you something. If men will not share the gospel with their next door neighbor, what makes you going to think that they're going to share it with an immigrant they're scared of? The cowards will not be in heaven. Nor the sorcerers. Idolaters. Anything that you place a value more than Christ is an idol. I see so many people say they're believers, but yet, I'm going to be careful with this, why don't you listen? You place money over Christ. You place your job over Christ. You place your friends over Christ. Because we get in such a mood and such a point that we would rather get along with men than stand before a holy God. And that's a problem. You're not going to be in heaven. It's not going to happen. He will feel His wrath. So Chad, that's tough. I didn't say it. I'm the messenger of God's Word. And I'm a flawed man. And I'll be the first to tell you I'm not worthy to stand before the king. The only worth that is in me is Christ who is in me. I am made worthy because of Christ. I have no worth. Liars. All liars. Well, who are the liars? You may be like me and have a lot of us fooled. Man, I lied good in church. I was good. You see, because I valued my glory more than I did anybody else's. And I valued my glory especially before I valued God's. I had an arrogance, a demeanor, that it's all about me. But I told people I was a follower, but I was a liar. The Bible says that all liars will not be in heaven. 
You see, these are powerful words. It's those that have overcome that are the victors. The scene of victory is for those who were not deceived. There are many of us deceived by many things, by many people. God is not a God of deception. He is a God of truth who is holy in all His ways. And in the world we live in, it's so easy to get deceived. You know, I, I think about Eric Liddell, or little, little, I'm sorry, that a man was so strong in his conviction for the glory of God that he was willing to give up the thing that was most precious to him on this earth. And not only was he willing to do that, but his life reflected it in the end when he was willing to complete surrender to die sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me promise you today that no matter what you have or will have or think that you have, apart from Christ, like Solomon said, is vanity. It means nothing. You see, this is why it troubles me. Because when I see the wrath of God and on one side I cry for your justice to be served, O God, when is justice going to be served for those that are martyred? When those that stand for your faith that are persecuted? When is justice going to be served? He will serve His justice. But understand this, the justice and wrath that is going to be served is going to be those who rejected Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you something, people, and I want everybody to hear this. You see, another reason that I was troubled and I don't want to hear what, anybody hear what I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, okay? I've been having a, a few moments with myself here lately because that spot that they cut out, it came back. Now I've got to have a bops anymore. And all week, as I know this is coming, I'm sitting here going, God, I don't understand. You know, i got so many things I want to do. And of course, any of us, when we hear the news, we all go to the immediate worst circumstance. Are you, am I right? And I'd already jumped the gun. And I'm sitting here, I don't understand, Lord. I said, you know, what if I can't speak and, and they mess me up for a week or two and then they do it again and I can't ever speak? And what? Then, then Chad, bloom where you're planted right now. And then my wife, my beautiful wife, brought truth to this statement right here. She said, Chad, you ain't finished till God says you finished. And when I heard that, I think about the finality of that statement. Not only was she right that God's orchestrated every one of our lives, but understand this, it gives me more of an urgency to tell people about Jesus because once He says it's finished, it's done. There ain't no second chances. You may not know this side of heaven how much time... time you, you may not know who you may touch this side of heaven. You don't know how much time you have left on this earth. And you never know some of the most significant points in your life until they've done passed you by. Today is the day of salvation. Don't be cowardly. 
Don't look at gloom and doom. Share the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody. And you may not know this side of heaven who's saved. And that person you share with may not be saved. But I can tell you this. You've done what God called you to do and let Him take care of the results. Amen? Because when He says it's finished, it's finished. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, Lord, as we look at this scene in Revelation, for those who had victory over the Antichrist, the deceiver, God, we've seen victory, but the victory was found for those that were faithful in you because you are the one worthy of all praise because you are the one that fought the battle for the victory. Lord, you have told us to be obedient to your call. God, you have cried and called out. It is finished on the cross. As Lord, in this sinful trouble-filled world, Lord, you provide an opportunity with reconciliation to the Father through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, and your wrath was poured out on Him. But through that wrath, through that death on the cross, through that resurrection from the dead, Lord, the same power that roused Jesus from the dead is alive in all of us who believe. And God, we may be found worthy because you found worth in us by the death on the cross. Lord, we have been made worthy because of you. Not by our own effort, by not our own ways, by not what we do, don't do, say, don't say, but Lord, complete surrender to you. And in ourselves, apart from you, we are unworthy, but in you we are found worthy. Lord, let us live and see a sense of urgency to share the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ, that Christ still saves. God, we love you and praise you, and we thank you for all you do. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.